This Kendra is where they make their mark. This is the time where you've got to turn the table. You've got to take advantage and ride this wave in this momentum. Look out! Welcome to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams, as always, alongside former golfers, soccer star Kindra D. St. Aubin. Today, though, we're going to be doing a lot more of the reviewing sense as opposed to previewing because it's been one heck of a regular season for Minnesota United. In the next segment, we'll be joined by the left back for Minnesota United, Chase Gasper, who can give us an inside account as to how things went during this bizarre 2020 campaign. But first, Kindred East St. Aubin, let's review the victory over FC Dallas, shall we? And before we even get on to things on the pitch, there was a real worry about this game heading into it because of the amount of injuries Minnesota United had sustained. As many as 11 first-team players injured. I think it's safe to say it sent ripples through the Minnesota United locker room. There were several people who weren't even sure if they were going to be available themselves. There were several people who weren't even match fit, but had to be available. Have you ever seen anything like this before? No, and I think it just really honestly goes along with these craziness of 2020. And yes, every team has dealt with something, but I don't know that any team has had the amount of absences and injuries um, and issues that Minnesota United has had to deal with. And more importantly, kind of in this time of the season, they've had niggles here and there. They've had a guy out here, a guy out there. We know Ike Parra, Tyler Miller, you know, um, have been out for for the season, basically. Um, So we we know not to expect them um, after MLS is back. But I think that the amount of injuries um, and issues that happened at the time they did for Minnesota United, as the season was kind of winding down, you're really starting to look at the playoff positioning. You're starting to look at the seating, where are you finishing in the Western conference um, as the games were coming fast and furious and people are dealing with coronavirus and positive tests and then injuries on top of it. And these weren't just little niggles. These were like, you know, injuries that were keeping players out for extended periods of time. And um, the movement in the roster and trying to make the lineup work and and dealing with different things, I think this was a a real exception that Minnesota United was facing compared to some of the other other teams and other clubs. And they weathered that storm and still end up in that fourth position. And I think this club should be very, very proud of what they've accomplished in 2020 and especially down the stretch here. Yeah, and they went on and not only did they beat FC Dallas, they did it quite comprehensively, Kendra. And this is what we were saying in the post-game show as well, to Adrian Heath as well, and we said on on the radio as well, that I think the fact that Minnesota United come into the playoffs on a club record eight unbeaten games. Yes, I know they've not won all of those games, and you correctly said that they'd sort of limped through what was a rather troubling last period of the season. But the point is they went through it and they got through it without losing a game and then they finished the regular season in a manner in which would suggest they're going to go into the postseason full of momentum yeah and I think that the three nothing win and the way they won that game was very very important for this team and feeling good about the postseason for the simple fact as as you just said unbeaten in eight four wins four draws no losses but the fact that they, they would all tell you and Adrian he said it quite a few times in, in postgame shows that 
he didn't feel great about the way they played, but they still got the result or they still got the point on the night. And so to go in on good form and with the lineup that you were able to throw out there. Now, I'll be honest, I, I felt better about the lineup once we got it, you know, just before the match, an hour before the game, compared to when we talked to Adrian Heath match day minus one, because he didn't know who was going to be available. He There were guys that needed to take fitness tests the morning of the game to see who was available. And I felt better once once I saw the lineup, just knowing that that front four would really be able to toe the line against this FC Dallas team. But the fact that they beat FC Dallas the way they did, and they looked as good as they did in just about every aspect of the game, including the back four looking better and more cohesive. I think that now you can go into the postseason, have a couple games, have a couple days off, some regen time with the, the gap between the games and get back together again and, and kind of tactically plan for and get some guys healthy for the post, first postseason game. So momentum for sure on their side with the way they beat FC Dallas. And I think that was much needed for, you know, to bring this group back together again and feeling really good about what they were doing. The one thing we mentioned on our television pregame show was the fact that if you go back and look at that starting 11, and I say this with all due respect to these players, but really there was a third choice goalkeeper in goal. I know he's become much more established over the last six to seven weeks or so, but still technically third choice. There are those that would argue maybe second choice now, some would perhaps say first choice, but either way, he, he wasn't the goalkeeper that Minnesota thought they were going to go uh, with throughout the entirety of the season. Um, you then had the fourth and fifth choice centre-backs. You had a fifth choice central midfielder in Marlon Hairston. And you had a makeshift centre-forward in, in Robin Lourdes, who's never played as a centre-forward before. And yet Minnesota were able to go out and beat FC Dallas the way that, that I don't think anybody really expected. The only regularity, really, Kay, was, was the attacking midfield area, the three players behind the centre-forwards. And again, this is something we've said on the broadcast, was that you needed a performance from those three. I thought Ethan Fenlay was very, very good, but he was overshadowed by the performances of Emmanuel Reynoso and Kevin Molina. Well, and honestly, I think, first of all, Ethan Finley, I don't think, is the kind of guy and the kind of player and the kind of teammate who's going to mind as long as they're getting the points and they're getting the win. He doesn't care who, who they come from. He's the kind of player that will make a dummy run every day of the week and twice on Sunday, if it means it leaves one of those other players wide open to finish an opportunity. He has no problem being the run that takes a defender away and clears space for someone else. And we've had this conversation in the past. Once Ethan Finley was fully healthy, Robin Lode was healthy, Kevin Molino was healthy, and Emmanuel Reynoso was healthy. How are you going to put all of them on the pitch at the same time? And who is going to be the odd man out? There were times where Ethan Finley would score a goal in the prior match, maybe even two goals, and he'd be left out of the next starting 11 just because of the other options that Adrian Heath had available to him. And because of the absence of a true number nine in the game with Schoenfeld and Kai Kamara dealing with a little bit of injuries, a little bit of knocks, this gave Adrian Heath that opportunity. We wondered how the front four was going to look. And yes, Robin Lewis has never played in that position before, to my knowledge as well. But I think the fact and the way that those four play, and they've never played quite together like this, but the movement and the fluidity and the ability to just kind of combine and read the game. And I do think Robin Lewis has a really high soccer IQ and his ability to just read the game and where he needs to be and where he needs to make his runs. And even when he would start on the wing, 
whether it was right or left, oftentimes you would find them higher up the pitch and more centrally, not as a true number nine, not sitting in that role from a starting position, but he has the ability to find those pockets of space, get in between the lines, go between the defenders, make himself available. And I thought it was actually really fun to watch and the creativity between them has been pretty, between that front four, three, whoever's on the field has been a joy to watch. And um, thank goodness those front four were healthy and available because that was the difference in this game, in my opinion. To our knowledge, Robin Lurd will be one of several individuals unavailable for the playoff game because of international duty and the quarantine needs at the moment because of the world we live in. But moving forward, Kendra, and, and maybe moving into next season, if Minnesota find themselves in this position again without a centre-forward, is this something you would expect to see again, Robin Lurd, playing this false nine role? I don't know why you wouldn't. I mean, I, I think if I'm Adrian Heath and the staff and what I saw um, in the game against FC Dallas, it would give me every inclination to think that this could be the situation going forward. And it could even be a situation where Kevin Molino slides up there or maybe Emmanuel Reynoso can push a little bit higher. And, if, you know, maybe if Ethan Finley's not available, you put Robin on the right-hand side. And, you know, there's some flexibility there now, which I think this is what tells Adrian Heath going forward. And I'm sure Robin didn't even hesitate, didn't even, you know, second guess his abilities in that role um, when he was told that he was going to be starting in that position. And I think you can just see the chemistry developing between that group of players. And when they're all healthy and they're all fit and they just click, you can tell they, they find a real joy in playing together. And I think the way they played allowed Jan Gregush and, and Marlon Harrison to play a little bit more defensively, just kind of patrol the midfield, not have to push on as much, let them do their thing and just make sure you win the ball back when it's lost and, and support your back four, who we know was a bit of a makeshift back four. So 3-0, a victory over FC Dallas, exactly what Minnesota United needed. Kendra, why did it go so right for Minnesota United on the day? Well, I do think that there was an element of being on the front foot right from the beginning. So if we're just talking purely, not even tactical, but just from a game standpoint and, and something that Adrian, he spoke quite a bit about after the last match prior, just the ability to put put it all out there, to play the game, to be all in, to make the tackle, be the first on the ball, the first to pressure, the first to, and then when you win the ball, to be the the runner off the ball, making the runs, supporting your teammates, just the willingness to do the work that is needed in a game outside of the actual tactical positioning, the, the technical ability of the players. So from that aspect, I thought there was just a different mindset and energy and intensity from Minnesota United right from the first kick. And I think that set the tone for the match. And then you saw the front four getting on the ball and Ethan Philly, you know, coming across, pinching inside. Then at times you had Kevin Molino joining in and finding Emmanuel Reynoso. And again, the, the willingness of Robin Lud to make the runs in between the lines. And I just thought that Roma Metanier and, and Debassi picking their moments on when to make the overlapping runs. The fact that our outside backs were on the front foot and making FC Dallas stay home. I mean, Hollingshead didn't hardly have an opportunity to get forward. You know, Reynolds on the other side hardly had an opportunity to get forward. And that is something that I think FC Dallas has prided themselves on is their ability to get numbers into the attack. And I think that Minnesota United closing the gaps, keeping the lines, being compact defensively, communication. And the second they won the ball, the quick transition was so noticeable, finding that long pass 
you know, out to Emmanuel Reynoso, Kevin Molino, making themselves available to then go forward. Robin Lourdes kind of stretching the line, which you wouldn't necessarily expect from him. Those were all things that I think just caught FC Dallas off guard and they could not recover. I mean, they had a hard time defending and and picking up the numbers with the movement off the ball. And I just thought that um, it's amazing, though, what that early intensity and tone, how that sets the tone for the match. And I it just proves that getting off to a quick start, these slow starts have really hindered this club and put them on the back foot and put them behind the eight ball. And this was the complete opposite. And they took it to FC Dallas right from the beginning and capitalized on their chances. I mean, some beautiful goals, some beautiful opportunities created. And um, they never gave up. They worked for each other and they got the win. And I just thought that you know, regardless of who was thrown out there, they all stepped up and knew their role and their role was defined in this match and they got the job done. Yeah, we'll also say credit where credit's due as well. I think um, Minnesota United were slightly fortuitous in the sense that FC Dallas looked good in front of goal. Dane St. Clair made the saves he needed to. The woodwork was struck once or twice. On another day, it could go very wrong for Minnesota, but you hit the nail on the head there, Kay. Ultimately, Minnesota United took their chances and FC Dallas didn't. Let's talk about those chances because FC Dallas gave the ball away on two of those particular goals. But Minnesota United made the most of the opportunities presented to them. The first goal was a good finish by Molino after a lovely little slipped ball in from Emmanuel Reynoso. This time, I believe it fell to Robin Lurd, who was able to play it to Reynoso on the edge, who struck it beautifully. We'll perhaps dive a little bit deeper into that one here shortly. Um, and the third eventually came in from the right, Reynoso pinging it over into the path of Molina, who, who comfortably slotted in for three. Um, no doubt, um, FC Dallas um, will find frustrations looking back on those goals. Um, but at the end of the day, Minnesota United took advantage of the opportunities when they presented themselves. And that's the important thing moving into the, into the postseason season because scoring goals has not necessarily been a problem. But um, in terms of the centre-forward position, the area you would expect goals to come from, that hasn't perhaps been as consistent as Minnesota United would want it to be, thus meaning the responsibility has often shifted to those players behind the centre-forward. Yeah, and I think that, you know, we've, you know, I've been frustrated on quite a few occasions on why Jan Gregus hasn't scored more goals or why he hasn't been more accurate from distance, right? Well, because I think because, and, and it's kind of a domino effect, if the, if the scoring wasn't coming from the number nine position, then it kind of put pressure on other aspects of the team and other aspects of the lineup from underneath to get the goals, to be a threat, to be a scoring threat. And not to say that Jan Gregus still doesn't need to be a little bit better on the ball when he does get in the attack. But ultimately, the, the fact that Minnesota United, as you so rightly said, capitalized on the mistakes of FC Dallas. And how many times has Minnesota been on? The shoot's been on the other foot. A, a turnover at midfield. I mean, we saw Marlon Harrison. We saw that happen to him a few games back where he had a turnover at midfield or Ja'Cory Hayes, and then the ball goes the other way. And they finished the opposite position finishes and capitalizes so this was Minnesota's chance to bury the opportunities it's it's like it's put on a platter for you and you make sure that you make the opposition pay and that's what Minnesota United did that first goal set the tone a turnover at midfield a sloppy play you pick up the ball you go the other direction it's again it's a team goal the passing nature of it the runs off the ball the unselfishness to make the extra pass and to finish it those were just things that I think that 
you could see Minnesota, like a, a gleam in their eye almost and a hunger about them and knowing that they need to bury their chances because even mentally and emotionally, if you don't finish that chance after that terrible, terrible turnover, I think it was Hollingshead who had the turnover. If you don't finish that chance, it's a kind of a deflating moment and it's tough to bounce back. You're going, this was put on a platter for us early in the game. This would have helped to set the tone and kind of put a foot on Dallas when they're on the road and we're trying to climb into this fourth position once again. And instead it elevated them even more. So it built their confidence and it was a beautiful finish and capitalized on the chances. And we talk about the other two goals. And once again, Emmanuel Reynoso finally gets his goal. And I think that was a huge moment for him. Um, and I do think he wasn't pressing. I, you know, we talked about this uh, during halftime and we talked about it even off the air saying like, yes, he hasn't gotten his goal. He's gotten a number of assists. I think it's seven assists, you know, in a short amount of time, 800 some minutes played. But the important thing is that he wasn't pressing. He would take his opportunity when it came on a set piece or otherwise, but he wasn't pressing. He wasn't trying to force the issue and prove to Minnesota United, the fan base, and all of us why he's here and why he's a designated player. He just kept doing his thing. And the beautiful goal that he was finally rewarded with, and then two assists on the night and Kevin Molino getting the other goal. So I just think that um, this is how this team – is most successful, in my opinion, is when they are playing the small ball, they're working for each other, they're doing the passing, they're doing the moving. I think they are more successful this way and playing this style than they are serving balls in and hoping someone gets on the end of it. And I understand you have a Kai Kamar and you have an Aaron Schoenfeld who are big bodies who can get on the end of crosses. But ultimately, I think when you have these kind of players with this kind of skill level and ability on the field, they are better with the passing and the movement and the technical ability to get in behind or get out on transition and finish. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think, um, do we not think perhaps in the past they, they were somewhat forced to, to play the way they were um, in terms of playing the ball out wide. And, and look, they, they tried to, to complement that system by bringing in certain players. But Emmanuel Reynoso has completely changed the way that this team plays. Now much more of a transitional team. Not saying they weren't in the past, but, but they, went, they went out wide. Now they go through the middle. Now they go through Emmanuel Reynoso. Can you talk to me about his goal? Because it's received high praise from all four corners of the world. It was a lovely strike, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that this was another situation where um, just his ability shines. And we talked about, you know, when he came over from Boca Jr., that he wasn't necessarily known as a goal scorer. Was that because of him as a player? Or was that because of the position he was put on the field? And I think we know his ability on set pieces. So it doesn't surprise me that when this ball comes across and he strikes it one time and he's able to curl it with his left foot, which we know is his favorite foot, but, you know, fortuitously and unfortunately for him, it was perfectly placed on the, on the ground and his ability to strike at one time and put it side netting. And I think that, you know, this is a player who the reason it's fortunate and the reason it's fortuitous to him is that he puts himself in the right position inside the box to be able to strike at one time. So once again, it's about the reading of the game and not just the strike to me. It's about knowing where to make that run, the timing of the run, not getting ahead of the pass, not getting ahead of the play. And so often we see him in a game 
kind of maybe make the run and step back. He's always putting himself, his body in a position to be able to make the right pass, the right play, the right run, the right strike, the right finish. And this time it was perfect. And it was a beautiful finish. And I'm glad it was that kind of a finish because I think for what he's done for this team and the assists he's created and the goals that he has created, he deserved a goal like that. And um, you could see the elation for from his teammates for him and um, his work rate off the ball. I think, again, good things happen to good people and good players that are willing to put in the work. And I think that's what we saw against FC Dallas and in particular with Reynoso's goal and striking it with just the right pace, with just the right part of his foot, only taking one touch, knowing where he needed to place that ball. This wasn't luck. This was all skill. Yeah, the, the one thing for me which got me very excited when the ball left his foot was because the ball comes in from the left-hand side, he allows the ball to come across his body just half a yard so he can whip his left foot around it and go to the goalkeeper's left and go across. Whereas I think the easier thing to do there on the left foot, Kay, would be to open up the body and go to the goalkeeper's right. But he allows it to come across his body for, for just half a yard and hit across the ball and really zip it into the, to the left-hand side of the goalkeeper. I mean, it's a fabulous finish, and um, it, it should have been up. Well, and how many t- how many times have we seen other players try to do that, right? And they whiff. Yes. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, you try to let it come a, a half a yard across your body, and you can get too far. And when, as you take a swing through it, you completely miss the ball altogether. Yeah, and you're right. I mean, normally you would see someone at the inside of their left foot, just place it, pass it back the direction, the side that it came from, and try to hit the side netting that way. But I think also knowing that the goalkeeper might have been going – you know, thinking that way and just curling it the opposite direction and getting just enough pace on it with just enough bend. And I think our behind the goal cam might have been the jib back there, got the perfect angle to be able to see the swerve and, and this curve on that ball that he was able to put on it. So again, so much of what he does is putting himself positionally in the right spot to make those kinds of plays and put that kind of a finish on it. And I think that's, again, credit where credit is due with Emmanuel Reynoso and what he has brought to this club and his teammates love playing with him. And he seems like ultimately a great teammate on top of it, which is just really fun to watch. Well, we were going to talk about some of our favorite moments and favorite goals and MVP. <laughs> Shocker, we've actually gone over the allotted time. You and I never struggle to talk about soccer, do we? So what we'll do is we may very well do that in the next segment with our very own Chase Gasper, who joins us. Uh, Before we do that, Kendra, in a few words, how do you describe 2020 and how it has been for Minnesota United? Well, you know, I struggle with, you know, do you want to take the glass half full approach or the glass half empty? Because my initial thought would be frustration, you know, and but ultimately you have to look at the other side of it and be elated with how things have turned out for this club and how this team has really weathered the storm. And I say that not just for Minnesota United, but honestly, quite honestly, for the, the entire country in trying to deal with the everyday hardships that 2020 has presented. So my initial thought would just be, man, frustrating how the ups and downs and the uncertainties of what Minnesota United has dealt with. But on the other hand, just true elation and happiness for this club and these players and this staff and this team that they have come out on 
ultimately the other side of it. We're not quite there yet, but the other side of the regular season and being able to actually play a regular season, although altered, and find themselves for the second season in a row in the postseason, in the fourth position, hosting a playoff game. I think that says a lot about this team and about this club. So that's how I would describe it. I would say elated and just really you know, joyful in the sense that they have, they've climbed this mountain and, and they're on the up and up and in a good position going into the postseason. Can't wait for the postseason. It's going to be really, really good for Minnesota United up against Colorado Rapids on the 22nd of November. Of course, you can watch the game on ESPN and you can listen to us on the radio side of things on Score North as well. Right, stay with there's still plenty coming your way on the Match Preview podcast. Once again, more of a review in the next segment. We'll be talking with the Minnesota United left-back Chase Gasper about 2020 for Minnesota United. And a very warm welcome back to our match preview podcast. Callum Williams alongside Kindra D. St. Aubin. And as we mentioned in the second segment, today much more of a review rather than a preview. And joining us to help us review what has been one heck of a 2020 campaign is the Minnesota United left back, Chase Gasper. Chase, thank you very much for taking the time. Uh, how are you at the moment? Yeah, I'm doing well. Thank you for having me on. Um, just trying to stay warm as I see the snow just pouring down outside. So. Still warm enough after practice this morning. Yeah, this is uh, Minneapolis-St. Paul in a nutshell at this time of the year. It is what it is, mate. You'll have to play in it in a couple of weeks. Don't worry about it. You know, get used to it. <laughs> um, so, look, 2020 has, has been just unbelievable. Um, I, I think if people weren't actually here, they wouldn't believe you if you were to actually tell the story of 2020. From your perspective inside the locker room, if you can just just walk us through a generic thought process on, on how 2020 went for Minnesota United and for yourself as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I'd say the, the best way to describe it is just uh, the mental battle. And I think the teams who are doing the best are those who have the strongest mental fortitude. You know, obviously COVID's affecting everyone. Um, probably athletes, the least so. Uh, affecting people's health is definitely the most important, but um, this 2020 has definitely been a mental challenge of just staying in tune because the schedule's thrown off, guys are testing positive, then you don't practice for a while, you get games rescheduled, so it's just, um, yeah, staying locked in mentally, and I think those are the teams that are doing the best. I think Robin Frazier, the coach of Colorado, said something similar after the month that they were shut down, that this is not for the weak. You know, what, they, what they've had to endure. And you're right, it's a society. I mean, 2020 has been nuts, and you guys have dealt with it in your own way as professional athletes. So how have you guys been able to stay mentally strong, cohesive as a unit? What have the conversations been like when you have been able to get together? How, how did you guys weather that storm mentally? Uh, I think it's just the character of the group. I mean, we have a lot of positive, friendly guys. And so every day going in the locker room, that's um, probably what you look forward to the most going into the facility is just seeing the smiles on all your friends' faces, uh, the, the jokes and the banter. And I, I'd say I'd attribute to, I'd attribute the most success to that is just like the banter and 
the camaraderie amongst the teammates. Cause yeah, there are so many days where you don't feel like practicing. You, you're getting a game postponed. You're not going to play for two weeks. And you're just like, Oh, why are we coming in to run and do all this when we don't even know when the next time we're playing is, but um, I just think the, the character and the camaraderie amongst all the guys on the team are, I think that's our biggest strong suit. Cause if you go into the locker room, I mean, everyone's friends with everybody. And I, I don't think that's the case on every single team. And um, I got friends and former teammates that play on other teams throughout the league. And after talking with them, that's, it's definitely not the case on their team. So uh, I think we're very lucky and um, just keeping that in perspective that, yeah, these are challenging times, but you got to look at the positives and that's definitely a massive positive. Jess, before we continue to talk about Minnesota United in 2020, let me ask you about how the year started for you. It started very well with a call-up to the U.S. men's national team and you were successful in, in beating Costa Rica 1-0 down in Los Angeles. I'm assuming after earning your first cap in a normal 2020, you were hoping, perhaps even expecting, another cap or two this year. Yeah, so at the uh, at the January camp, they they laid out the schedule for the upcoming two years up until the world cup and uh, the phases that they're working in with friendlies qualifiers and all that was turned upside down and changed rescheduled. And it's still continuing to this day to get rescheduled new plans. And so, uh, yeah, like, like you said, the year started off well for me and um, on a positive note, but, you know, the, the world just kind of changed. And so now it's what, what we alluded to earlier, just that mental fortitude that, um, you know, qualifiers have been postponed. And so, you know, that you got limited amount of time to prove yourself. So you got to make every single game that you play and count and just prove, prove what you can do and try to make that team. Does it seem like January when that camp occurred and then even let's fast forward to March when the season actually started and when you guys started the season 2-0, and you have this long layoff, you have MLS's back tournament. You know, Cal and I were talking earlier, if you had a word to kind of describe this in a nutshell, can you even put a word to what the season has been like or is it more like you have to go in stages? Like what was March like? What was... June like you know do you have to almost go in stages yeah yeah so if the word coming to mind right now is compartmentalization that like like you said the phases and it's just focusing on getting doing the best and completing the phase that you're in and so pre-covid you know the, the you just thought you got your 10 month season ahead of you so it's like all right here, here starts the uh the marathon whereas once covid started and we go on lockdown and it's what you do on your own. And you're like, okay, we know we're going to, we once MLS said, okay, we're going to, we're going to try to return by this date and then do the bubble. It's okay. I'm doing my individual work. How am I, how am I going to get the most out of my individual work and um, try to be as efficient as possible to be prepared for the return to play. And then when you do return to play, it was, we had like, what, two or three weeks to prepare before the bubble. And then that was like the next phase. Okay, this two to three week preseason before the bubble, how am I going to get in the best shape possible, best form possible? And then you fly down to Orlando and that was the next phase. Okay, we're in Orlando for X amount, what is it, 41 days, however long we were down there for. And 
what am I going to do to um, play my best and help the team ultimately and try to win this tournament? And then we got back from Orlando, and it, it is tough because you kind of don't get the, the, the final schedule until the last minute. And so it, it, that goes back to that mental fortitude of, oh, how am I going to stay locked in? I can't you know, mentally slip off right now. And then once we got phase one of, I guess, the normal like return to play uh, past COVID, then it was just focused on that six games, I think it was in that phase. And then so every time they lay out a new phase, it's just kind of restarting that process in your mind of like, okay, this is day one of phase two or whatever you want to call it. How am I, what am I going to do to prepare my mind and body as best as possible to get through this next phase? And um, I thought every, I thought all the guys on our team did a fantastic job at dealing with this, all the adversity and our coaches as well. So uh, I applaud everyone at the club and the trainers. I mean, the trainers especially, they, they've saved us a lot. So I think, I think our club's done a phenomenal job. Chase, at the start of the season, which seems like a decade ago now, the club started 2-0 yeah. and all with impressive victories away at Portland Timbers and San Jose. And then you mentioned the lockdown really came to pass. Before you knew it then, you were down in Orlando for the MLS's back tournaments. From that last game when you were victorious in San Jose to the first game of the tournament against Sporting Kansas City, did you notice any differences with, with yourself and, and players around you, whether it was psychological or, or physically? Um, well, I, I knew for myself that, I mean, the heat down in Orlando was a shock to me. I mean, I knew it was going to be hot and I, I'm somewhat used to humidity from, coming from Virginia, but I, mean, I don't think you could like be ready for that unless you're the Orlando and Miami guys who are, really used to, I guess, Dallas and Houston, but wow, that was definitely a shock. But um, I think we were just on such a, such a high note after the first two games of the season, that, that was our, that was the theme we were echoing of, you know, let's continue this momentum. Everyone in the league sees, and we've proven to ourselves and everyone in the league, what we can do. So let's keep on pushing, stay top of the tables. And um, yeah. And I thought the team did a phenomenal job at that. You know, it wasn't always, the prettiest soccer just because you you haven't played games in a couple months and you had two weeks to prepare but uh it was just the mental fortitude and the 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 never quit mentality and so that's why you know we scored like two goals in the last five minutes against Kansas City in that first game and and how many games have we done that this year we score in the final five minutes to tie it or win it so um the the first two games of the season I think were huge for us to prove to ourselves and the entire league that, you know, we're, we're a team, the we're a formidable group and somebody, uh, a team that other teams don't want to play against. Speaking of that Orlando tournament, because it was kind of a shock to the system and no one knew what to expect from any club down there, just considering the circumstances and having a month off and then coming into that climate, was there a moment even within the tournament itself that you guys kind of looked around the locker room and things felt like they were clicking. You guys were back in form. The group was, you know, the band was back together again. Was there any moment either in a match in the locker room at some point that it felt like, okay, guys, we've, we've got our, you know, what together again, and we're on a roll here. 
Uh, so the first game was Kansas City. The second one was Salt Lake. Or no, the second one was Colorado, then Salt Lake. I think that was the order. Um, hmm. I think I think winning the winning against Columbus, I think that was the game that uh, really spoke volumes to what our team was about. Just because Columbus, they were, they were kind of like the the hottest team on the block at the time. Everybody was talking about them. Um, and I remember going into that game, it was just kind of reading reading the news and looking online. It was everyone had Columbus winning, and so um, I think winning that game was huge for our group. Uh, kind of showed everybody that you know this Minnesota team is is definitely a tough opponent to play against and um, and I think that really uh, really helped us out going into the following game against San Jose who you know they're a tough team to play against with that man-to-man marking and so we're like oh man we're all you know fatigue starting to set into the tournament um, you're getting tired mentally you've been in the hotel for a couple weeks now but uh, when we came out against San Jose, it's like everyone kind of had like a fire set under their butt, just came flying out, and we, I mean, we absolutely destroyed them. So that was, that was, yeah, it was winning the Columbus game and then carrying that momentum into the San Jose game. That was, uh, I think, the biggest moment for our team and really cool. Felt then as though, Chase, that there was a real expectation going into the final game against Orlando City in the semifinal. Obviously, things didn't work out for Minnesota United. How disappointed was the locker room after losing at that stage? Yeah, it, it was. Um, everyone was, you know, totally, totally down in the dumps, and understandably so. That you know, you stay that long in Orlando and you get that far, it's like heck, we we might as well try to win this thing. But um, you know, that Orlando team was really good. Nani turned into Manchester United Nani against us, which, you know, it's, he's tough to play against, but um, yeah, that was just tough game to lose. We, we started off pretty flat, I thought. And so that's what killed us. Second half, we really stepped up in that game, but um, I just think it's how we started the game is what ultimately led to our demise. But um I think the Orlando tournament as a whole really brought the group closer together just because you spend so much downtime together in this hotel. No, no friends, no family, no anything, just each other. So um, really brought the crew, the, the group um, together. And because we had, we had a lot of new faces on the team as well. And so, yeah, I mean, you kind of get to know them during preseason and then you play two games and you go on lockdown. So you don't know them really well. But um, that's what brought everyone together. And so since then, I mean, I've just had such a blast with this team off the field of hanging out in the locker room, hanging out outside of soccer. And um, I think that's what I'm most uh, most grateful or appreciative for after the, um, the Orlando tournament was just making, honestly, just really good friends with all my teammates. And then, Chase, tell me, how much of a relief was it to get back to Allianz Field? I, I know it, it will never be the same without the fans. There was always that aspect there. But it must have been nice to actually be able to play a home game and actually play in your home stadium. Oh, it was incredible. It was way too long since we've been back there. Because first two games were on the road. So we were, 
so looking forward to that third game back at home. And then that's when COVID hits. It's like, ah, oh, come on. But it was such a good feeling. It's like, you know, when you've been, when you've been away from like your home for months for however long, that first time you come back home and that, that sensation of just calm and tranquility and happiness fills your body. So walking out of the tunnel and when the Allianz opens up to you, that's, it was the greatest feeling to return back there and everyone was so happy. And like you mentioned, it's, it's never going to be the same without the fans, but uh, we could feel their spirit fill up the stadium. So it was, uh, it was a joyous feeling for sure. And then Chase, as 2020 had kind of continued and, you know, even within each phase of return to play, it felt like there were even kind of phases within this team in the results or in the performances and additions of players. You know, Emmanuel Reynoso finally comes into the fold, a player that had been talked about for so long. Um, How do you view your 2020 as you've gone through this, I mean, 2019, your rookie season seems like eternity ago as well. So how do you feel about your 2020 and going through these phases and your performance as, as you've returned to play and now you've played what 18 games on the season for you personally? Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, I'm pleased with how my season has been going. I thought it started well. I thought the, uh, personally for me, I thought the Orlando tournament went well. And then (laughs) Then that phase, phase one, I guess that six games when we came, there's so many like phases of names, I, I forget which is which, but um, it was like Kansas City was our first game back at Allianz, and then I forget who we played after that, but um, I think I kind of, I don't want to say dropped off, but just with the, the amount of games, and we're playing two, three games a week, and playing in all of those games definitely got a bit fatigued and maybe a bit flat towards the end of that phase one, maybe beginning of phase two, but um, Kansas city, I got a break in the first half and then got subbed in. And I, I think that helped me out a lot with just fully recovering, getting my legs back and fitness back and just a, a small break. And so I feel re-energized, re-amped, and with playoffs around the corner, these are the games that you look forward to the most as a player. So I'm really looking forward to the run we're about to make. Yeah, and we'll ask you about that here shortly, Chase. The one thing I do want to ask you, though, is the one thing you added to your resume this year that you didn't have last year was a goal. You scored your first professional goal against Rail Salt Lake in a 4-0 victory. I remember seeing you busting a lung to make the overlapping run and it was fed through to you and I thought he's going to fire it towards goal you did just that and it found the back of the net and I remember you beaming afterwards you were so happy and I'm assuming you got a lot of congratulations after that as well yeah it was what a rare moment I had no idea what I was doing up there so it was uh I'm very I'm very thankful Kevin Kevin played a perfect pass on that one just let it where it kind of put the goalie in an awkward position where it was just far out where he couldn't go get it, but he had to kind of step out of the, step out of the goal. So uh, yeah, Kevin played a perfect ball and just made an easy tap in for me. And yeah, it doesn't happen too often. So I didn't really know what to do. And I guess I just jumped and smiled, but uh, uh, yeah, I'm just thankful for all my teammates and Kevin for help setting that up. 
Well, speaking about, you know, you said that Kevin laid it off for you. And we've seen a lot of unselfish play from this team um, throughout the season and the willingness to work for each other, including, you know, your willingness to make those overlapping runs and Roman's willingness on the opposite side. The Dallas game, I think, was a big representation of that. The FC Dallas match that Minnesota United just ends up victorious 3 nothing after some so-so performances, despite, you know, having being unbeaten in seven games prior to the Dallas game. Talk us through the Dallas match, and you had a unique perspective because you started out on the bench for that game. You came in late in the match um, as a sub. So what did you see from that game, and how does that really carry some momentum, or does it into the next match? Uh, yeah, definitely definitely carries momentum because we, we always have trouble with FC Dallas. You know, they're, they, are, they are some really good players on their team, some dangerous attackers, and so um, – I think that was kind of uh, definitely like a big statement game for our, our group. And um, I thought our defenders did a, a good job at shutting down their most dangerous attackers. They definitely got a few chances. They hit like a, the crossbar on the post, but um, I think the, the, uh, the quality in our attackers really, really showed in that game. And, you know, Reynoso is, this guy is just magic with the ball at his feet. He is so fun to watch. Uh, Kevin Molino is incredible. They, they have a, a great relationship and they play well with each other. Robin Lud is killing it, even though he's playing striker. And Ethan Finley, he's always good. You always know what you're going to get out of Ethan. And so, um, yeah, I think we shut down their dangerous players, which that was the biggest goal going into the game. And then the quality in our attack came out. And so it was definitely a statement game for our group. Wonderful. Chase, let me fire some quick questions towards you. I think we'll get the uh, thoughts of Kindred D. St. Auburn as well here. Uh, if you can, um, if you can remember, because there's been a lot of them this year, what's your favourite goal that the team has scored this season? Um, it, was, it was against RSL when Kevin Molino like, pulled it behind his leg, then hit it, hit it like Cruyff did to Raheem who overlapped him, and then Raheem played it across for Ja'Cory to tap it in. That was definitely my favorite goal. It was just creativity of the the attackers on our team, the unselfishness, like you said earlier, and um, just putting a final stamp on on that game. What was that, like 3 or 4 zero, four zero, I think? Yeah, that was 4-0. That, that was yeah. that goal was, yeah. That, that, the, the absurdity for Molino to try that in that particular moment, yeah. well, it's wonderful, isn't it? I, I think... Um, was on the subject of Molino, he scored my favourite goal. It was the 3-2 victory against FC Dallas early September. And I remember saying on the commentary, it was vintage Minnesota United because of the way it was manoeuvred in by Mittenier back into Reynoso and vice versa back across then. I thought it was wonderful. Kendra, what's your favourite Minnesota United goal? I actually think, I don't know if it's a recency bias in my brain, but I think it would probably be Emmanuel Reynoso's goal just because he finally gets on the board. Um, and I think it's well-deserved because he created so many opportunities. And if he didn't get the first assist, he was maybe the second assist, as we all know, as a hockey reference. So it doesn't, you know, show up on the score sheet for everything. So for him to be finally rewarded with the goal um, late in the last match, I think that was uh, probably my my favorite. But there's a number. I mean, you and I talked earlier about Hassani's goal at FC Dallas, even though it didn't come in a win. So there's some good moments and some good quality goals. And uh, those are those are all good choices. There's been some beauties this year. And I do think when they represent a true team goal, the passing and the willingness to work for each other, it makes it even more special. Chase, mm -hmm. what about your favorite save or might even be a favorite defensive 
uh, play this season? Uh, well, we had BK the other night. That was huge. That was really big. Um, I mean, Dane's had so many at this point. It's really <laughs> one. Um, we can go with that. We can go with the BK situation if you want to, because that yeah, was yeah. wasn't it? Yeah, it's too hard to pick one of Dane's saves, so we'll just say BK's save the other night because that's just selling out for your team. You know, he's just, you're obviously going to fall into the net, and who knows what's going to happen, but that was definitely an awesome moment. And Speaking of Dane, uh, can you fit? Is his head still fitting through the doorway <laughs> or at, in your apartment? Is it or is his has his ego blown up because he's getting a lot of attention? <laughs> Yeah, he hasn't he hasn't walked into the apartment in a couple months actually because he can't fit through the door. <laughs> no, I, I don't live with Dane anymore, but um, he's it's it's good to see him. You know, get getting the gold. He definitely deserves it, and I think he's proven to everybody what uh, the quality he has as goalkeeper. So, um, I mean, I knew about this at, since I met him at Maryland and just practicing with him there, playing with him there. Uh, I mean, I knew how good he was, and so. I knew it was just a matter of time before he got his opportunity here. And um, now I'm really happy and proud of him for making the most of his opportunity and proving to everybody what he's capable of. And uh, he is a very, very good cold keeper, which he has shown. So very happy for him. Okay, then Chase, two final questions for you. Uh, number one, what was your favorite moment of the season? And number two, I'm going to put you on the spot. Who do you think is the MVP for Minnesota United this year? Uh, MVP, Kevin Molino, he's, he's the X factor on our team. I mean, when you need, when you need a goal, you need assists, you need something to happen. You need that spark. It's Kevin's our go-to guy. And he's such a, he's such a good player. Obviously everyone sees what he's capable of with the ball at his feet, but I mean, it's off the field too. He's such a good teammate, a good leader, mentor. He's always, uh, he takes, He'll, he'll always like take the younger guys off to the side if they're having a bad day or, or something happens and just kind of walk them through, Hey, try to do this. And he's always calm. And uh, because he's just so well-respected throughout the league and you know, you, that's not every guy that when they, they have his status or reputation, you know, they're unfortunately a lot of guys just kind of, tell everybody to you know, screw off, mind their own business. But, you know, that's not Kevin. He's down to earth. He's humble. He's a great guy, great teammate. And um, we're, we're very lucky to have him on our team. Your favorite then, has to be your yeah. goal, surely. Favorite moment? Um, has yeah, to be the goal, no? Yeah, yeah, I'd have to say yeah. score. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Chase Gasper, thank you very much indeed for your time. We really appreciate it. And uh, my thanks, uh, as always, to Kindred East St. Auburn, our producer Morgan Lubin. No game this weekend. International football very much at centre stage with the United States having themselves two games uh, over in Europe. Uh, so for now, I would say and suggest keep your eyes peeled to mnufc.com. Plenty of content coming your way for the next game as Minnesota United take on Colorado Rapids in the first round of the 2020 MLS playoffs on November 22nd. From all of us here, we'll see you then.